I'm Matt Long, and this is Infants on Thrones, philosophy mingled with story. And on this episode, Tom Perry and I sit down and talk about our approaches to parenting beyond Mormonism, what we've learned, what we know, what we don't know. But first, here's a little story I told a group of friends that were over the other day, the myth of reality. And the story I want to tell you is about a land of the land of belief where this group of people, good people lived. We call it the land of belief because you either fell into one of two tribes, either the believers or the non-believers and the believers, they always started by believing and the non-believers, they would start by disbelieving. And the people I'm going to tell you about they're in the, they were in the tribe of the start by believers this, uh, this couple, they eventually were going to have a baby. And they were too young to have a baby, but that's what was going to happen. And so the thing that they always told each other, and they thought this was so clever, is they'd say, well, now it's real. And so that's what they called her. They called her reality, their little baby. Now, reality was born. And a few days later, as often happens, there's the local, um, you know, the local mystic comes over. And he blesses the children with gifts. And they were very excited to see what gifts reality would, would be given. Because they were usually given three, three different gifts. Reality's mother was blessed with kindness. was one of her gifts. Her father was blessed with, with uh, wit and other things. And so they're very excited as what is reality going to be blessed with? And the mystic came and did his little ritual thing. And he said, reality, I bless you with awe. Awe. And her mom and dad said, awe? Like A-W-E? He said, yeah, awe, A-W-E. And he leaned down and he whispered something in reality's ear. And this child, just a few, few days old, popped open her eyes. Didn't know what the mystic whispered into her, but they said, okay, your gift is awe. Seems like a silly gift. Mom got kindness and other things. Dad got wit and other things, and you get awe. So they're interested to see how this child would grow up. Well, in the land of belief, as often happens, reality's parents realized some of the error of their ways. They saw as they started by believing, they were wrong. They were wrong. And too often when they started by believing, they were ignorant of the truth because they just started by believing. And so as they got a little older and as reality got a little older, the, uh, her parents did the obvious thing. They switched from being believers to non-believers. And so now they started to, instead of starting by believing, they became, they became cynics. They became critics. And they would start by disbelieving. And they felt very confident in their position because now they weren't as wrong as they were when they were believers. The thing is, reality saw this change as she got older, and she was a bit perplexed by it. She was really confused, because she saw that when her parents became disbelievers, they were doing the same thing as they did when they were believers. And so reality got a little older, and she did really well in life. She was very smart. She was very capable because she applied the gift that the mystic gave her. 
eventually her parents saw that they were still struggling and the same problems that they had when they were believers really didn't change. They just kind of had a different flair to it. There were different people. There were different environment. There was a different accoutrement. But they were doing the same thing. And eventually, they started having a conversation with reality because she was getting old enough now to kind of figure out her own way. And what they realized is she was different than the other kids. She was different than the other tribes. She was kind to everyone. She was smart. By that meant she asked the right questions and very rarely had answers. The questions that she had led to more questions, whereas the people who started by believing and the people who start by, by disbelieving usually got to an answer rather than getting to more questions. And as she got to more questions, it caused her to experience more. Eventually, her parents asked her, Reality, tell me about kind of your process, how you do the things you do. And she said, well, Mom and Dad, I'm simply doing the thing you taught me to. Early, early on, I assume you meant it. You told me, find myself. And so I did. And I did that by, finding, by utilizing the gifts that the mystic gave me. And I said, well, ah, he gave you ah. What do you mean ah? She smiled and she said, oh, he gave me ah. A-W-E. Awareness, wonder, and experiences. And so throughout life, as I went around, I approached life with awareness and wonder and experience. And as I did that, and the older I got, the thing that I was able to experience was me. And I said, that's pretty fucking good. So can you give me a help on how to apply on to my life? And she said, absolutely. Because your whole life, you started by believing. And then the latter your part, you started by disbelieving. Whereas all I ever did was begin by hearing. I listen. And I evaluate. And I don't know that it's brought me good things all the time, but it's brought me things that are real. It's brought me the experiences that I want to have because they're mine. And what it's brought me is connection with my heartbeat, connection with my consciousness. And it's helped me to know how I want to move and how, what I want to wear and where I want to live and what I want to do and what I want to eat and who I want to be around. Turns out, when I apply awe, I'm right about me. So the charge is this. Approach the world with awe, awareness, wonder, and experience. But in order to do that, I have one question. Will you begin by hearing? And so I thought about that and thought, you know, let's, let's have a conversation about parenting beyond Mormonism. And, you know, as, as I, I um, will disclose something to you, Tom, and uh, wash your balls at the same time. 
<laughs> All right, I'm prepared. Which is, uh, you know, is in this in this life, uh, this existence beyond Mormonism. It's, it was simply a reminder of something that I've always feared, which is uh, I'm all alone. And um, by that, I, I, I just mean that nobody has this figured out. And when that reality hit, the, um, the, the it provided me a, a lot of. Um, a lot of terror to be a father in that type of a situation. And, um, but Tom's, you've been, uh, been a lifeline to me in trying to navigate how to be a parent, um, outside of, uh, some other structure or what, what, how we were brought up. And so, um, you know, you've kind of been my, (laughs) my go-to person to say, Hey man, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm not saying, you know what you're doing, but help me, um, figure this out and maybe we can figure this out together. And, and, you know, it's been one of the joys over the last few years is, um, figuring out or at least, um, experiencing this whole parenting thing, um, (laughs) together and with someone who's helped me navigate those waters. And so, um, that's why I reached out to you said, let's, let's talk about this parenting thing, um, beyond Mormonism and some of the things we maybe reflected on, both how things have changed and maybe how things haven't changed um, hmm. in our approaches and our outlooks um, as uh, as parents. Yeah, I well, first off, I appreciate the kind words. I mean, the thing is, is you know, I I, I reached out to you as well, and, and and I love hearing Kristen's insight as well because you guys are we're both about the same age. We have kids that are similar ages, and so yeah, we're we're kind of working through this clusterfuck of parenting together in a way. And, you know, you guys have your definite struggles. I've got struggles and yeah, I, (laughs) it's like we learn as we go, we go through these trial and errors. Hopefully we don't mess up our kids too badly (laughs) and, and just pave a way for them. And that's why your guys's experiences and advice and insight as far as parenting and just being who you are as people too has been incredibly invaluable for me. So yeah, I just want to kind of throw the the ball washing a little bit back at you because it's, it's, it's a team effort, you know, it's not, it's definitely not a, uh, a one-sided deal. So yeah, but as far as this parenting beyond Mormonism, it's, yeah, it's, it's been such a key focus of my life ever since I stopped believing, obviously. And because of the position that I'm in where Mormonism still had a vital role or a key to play in my family and and with my kids until fairly recently, I'm going to say in the last two or three years, my wife has slowly started to pull more and more away from Mormonism, which is, which has been really great. And I, I just, you know, just selfishly, I want to say that's such a relief, but I'm committed to her. I'm committed to the family. So regardless of where she goes, I'm going to, you know, allow her the space to carve her own path and journey. And I'm just going to love and support her through that because she does the same for me, obviously. Yeah. You know, she provided me all kinds of uh, space and comfort and support as I went through my journey. So what kind of asshole would I be if I didn't do that for her? (laughs) The big kind. 
<laughs> yeah, right. But uh, yeah, parenting outside of Mormonism. Oh man, I, I don't even know where to start. Really, why don't why don't you first off? How old were your kids when the big shifts happened? Yeah, the the biggest shift happened right after our youngest um, was baptized. Um, oh wow! It okay. was this. It was this soft kind of. I'm not attending. I'm not attending. Not doing the temple recommend thing, but mm. not really talking about it. Suffering in silence. Only talking to only talking to Kristen about it. And then it was um, Dylan, our our youngest, was just turning eight. I went and got my te- temple recommend for the purpose of baptizing her. We baptized her, and almost within weeks, we really were never um, never attended um, as an active member since then. So that was, so Dylan was eight. Um, let's see, I got to do, do the math upwards. Um, <laughs> Tommy, Tommy would have been four years. So he would have, he would have just, uh, just been 12 and he had just passed the sacrament. He was another one. He wanted, wanted, wanted to pass the sacrament. Once he did, it was like, well, that was boring. I'm out. And so he wasn't interested in attending <laughs> after that. Um, and then Tori was um, 14 and she was just as happy to not be involved. So 14, you know, young women's, um, just barely young men's, and then eight when we really now we're no longer um, even pretending to operate under a Mormon paradigm. Yeah, they were kind of in those like vital ages where the Mormonism programs were going to start to sink their hooks into them. Right. And, you know, Tori was avoidant of that. She had a second pair of earrings, for example, and was, was mm. thought that was silly. You know, those that was being talked about quite frequently. Mm. But yeah, but it never quite took, um, you know, the, the programming, you know, that level of, of young men's and certainly seminary and that um, never had the opportunity to take. So in many ways, we were, I think, I think we had the maximum impact on Kristen and I, as far as um, being committed and having our kids so much in and yet kind of, kind of just got to that area of, um, uh, got to that area of, uh, of preventing some real major, um, corruptions taking effect in, in, in all three kids. But the one thing I did, did want to point, just highlight is, um, in retrospect, we realized the, the adoption, um, and, and Tori being adopted, is something that probably kept me in the church longer than it would have otherwise. Explain that a little bit. Well, the, the, the family that, um, Tori's birth family were a family that I knew on my mission and they adopted me culturally into their family while I was on their mission. And then, um, we went back and, and, you know, we've told the story before, but, um, you know, they asked us to adopt her and it was just, it was just clear um, well, and the, and the story is that, you know, they, they knew they wanted me to adopt her, but they needed to meet Kristen first. And so they waited until they met Kristen. Um, and then, you know, eventually asked us to, to take her. And in fact, um, um, but there was that, that understanding I'm giving you her because one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, I'm sacrificing and I'm willing for you guys to be the family is because of the faith. Yeah. It was like a big, uh, what is it? A contingency, right? Right. And, you know, Randy's yeah. talked about this before in his adoption experience as well. Um, is that the, the Mormon connection is something that you, you, when you, when you're an adoptive family mm-hmm. or an adoptive parent, um, 
in that situation. It, it, it did. And in retrospect, I, I, it, it was certainly a, a larger factor than, um, or it was just, it was just a factor, I guess. And, mm. and that's been something that's, that has stuck with me and has affected me, um, up until fairly recently. There's, there's always been this, um, element of, I don't know if guilt's the right word, but just it's, it's been an itch. It's been, um, it's been a, you know, a, a pee, like a, like a pee in, under the mattress, you know, the princess and the pee. <laughs> just a little irritating, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, what was my, my kids? So my oldest was 11 turning 12. Okay. And then my, my boy was getting ready to turn eight. And then we just had our youngest, mm-hmm. uh, just my wife was giving birth. Oh wow! To our youngest, so. And, and when you say major shift, what what's that look like for you? <sighs> when, it, yeah. Let's see. Because you pinpointed those years pretty good, man. <laughs> I did because it, it, there's this focal point that I always point to internally for me when I felt like I was no longer a believer in, in Mormonism when that shift happened and it, you know, it was (laughs) obviously it wasn't like just one, one night or whatever. It was like a buildup. And then, but when it did happen, when I just let that sink in and then I just accepted that, I don't know, the inevitability the decision, the, you know, just allowing everything to just fall into place. When that happened, that was when I would go to church and everything looked different, felt different. Mm -hmm. Just the people, just everything had a new flavor and a smell and a look to it. Just everything changed. What a great articulation. Because, and it's it's still that way in in some way, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go attend a Mormon meeting and it's, it's like, I have to force myself to remember what it felt like as a believer back then, because things are so shifted now. Stranger in a strange land. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. How am I such a stranger in a place that I once felt as, yeah. Felt like it was home, really. Home, you know? yeah, right. That I was that I was a part of, and that this was going to be, you know, well, it's wrapped up in your identity, obviously. So, right. But when that happened, that was when, for me, you know, all the colors of the world changed, or whatever. And so, I look at my family, my immediate family, and then my parents, my siblings, and all my wife's family. That's when all the dynamics started to have ripples and everything. So that's why I look at that time as, in fact, there was one event that kind of, uh, but I don't remember the exact date, but it was when I, uh, I, I, the, my existing Bishop and his wife, I called them to come over to the house and I let them know my wife and I sat there and we let them know. I think they were probably, were they the first people I talked to? I don't, but that, that situation is what sort of crystallizes in my head. My first coming out party, (laughs) 
because I mean, I sent, I think I sent the email to my family and stuff like that a little around that time or a little after that, but I was so close to my former Bishop and his wife, like they just crazy close to him. And it just, without even thinking, I was like, well, if this is, if this is real, if this is how it's going to be, I've got to tell them first because I was working with them all the time. Their kids were over our house. Our kids were over their house. It was just, it was almost closer than family in a lot of ways. So I was just like, I gotta let them know first because it's going to impact them first and foremost. So, right. Anyway. And then did but, this impact your, do you feel that this was the shift also in your parenting style and the way that you now started operating practically in the world? Absolutely. And it, you know, that interview that I did with my oldest daughter that I posted on infants like a year and a half or two years ago or something like that, that, uh, yeah, it shifted everything for me as far as being a parent, like prior as a believer, I felt like I knew what I needed to say when I needed to say it, how I needed to say it, all those things. But once that dynamic shifted, it was a much scarier time and all I really wanted to do was to just kind of hold their hands and help them get up on their own feet rather than me tell them, these are the rules. You're going to abide by the rules. You're going to follow the rules until, you know, whatever age or date or whatever it is, because that's kind of the structure and the format of the Mormon religion. Yeah. Without benchmarks, that <laughs> benchmarks, achievements, linear growth. Right. Yeah. Without that scaffolding there it was really, really, really scary. And so in that interview I had with my daughter, that was the first time, like, I, I can, I, I can still remember how scared I was because it was a layer of vulnerability I hadn't addressed with myself or with anyone, but I went to her, um, and mind you, she was 11 years old or almost 12. And I was going to tell her, I, you know, that I don't believe knowing that she was going to probably judge me because I didn't, I had a pretty good idea. I mean, I'd seen her praying and she was attending all of her meetings. So I was taking this leap that she was going to, you know, there's going to be this instantaneous wedge between us. It was really, really scary. But I, you know, I, I was like many uh, fresh ex-Mormons where, Honesty and, and integrity, be, you know, is the only thing that's imp- is the only thing that matters. Damn everything else. Transparency, even if it's really, yeah. really harmful. Yeah. Even if, it, yeah, even if it causes problems and wedges. Right. And I just went in there, and very, very fortunate for me, it it kind of shifted my daughter in a much positive light, where we started to develop a very strong bond and trust, and uh, you know that kind of started the seeds of doubt planting in her own mind for her eventual, I don't know, disaffection in her own mind because she, she, like any kid and any person, they, everyone has doubts and do they feel safe enough to address them, talk to them? You know, everybody has a shelf, but is there even a place that they can talk about it? Yeah. And and I pro- and I provided that place for her. So, yeah. Anyway, well, but that's hear, their, hear her father basically say, "Look, I'm I'm dealing with real stuff in life," which is essentially what you did. 
Yeah. I'm dealing with real stuff and I want to bring you into my, um, really my suffering. I want it's to weird bring, though. Bring into my experience. It's, it's, you, it's the right word, man. What you said is, is vulnerability, but what awesome modeling to say, you know, to show, look, I struggle, I'm struggling and I want you to be a part of this experience, which happens to right now be, um, a struggle. But is it awesome though? Because I re- I remember something that my daughter had said is that you, uh, speaking to me as her father, you represent this pillar of strength and foundation. And if you're going to approach me and say, I'm not that, I'm not this pillar, I'm not this, you know, solid tree that you can hang on to when the wind gets strong, that I also you know, have problems holding on that. I also, um, I'm trying to still figure out life when I'm the one trying to raise you, you know, it's, it's a really complicated thing because I do think that there is an obligation from a child's perspective and from a parent's perspective that a parent's got to have all their shit together. I feel that as a parent Mm -hmm. and I know that for a child, they want their parents to have all their shit together. Sure. But to me, that's such a Mormon, it's such a fundamentalist outlook, and it's not consistent with reality. And so in, in, in presenting that or in wanting to be that or, or her expectation of that hmm. and your desire to be that, that was both of your desires to live in, in, a, in a fiction that doesn't really, doesn't really serve anyone because it doesn't model when real shit happens. Sometimes there isn't a whole lot of stability. And in fact, learning that at such an early age only prepared her to deal with the realities that come her way. No, you're right. It's just removing that, that mental or emotional safety net is the way I'm framing it. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. uh, it's, but that's a healthy thing, bro. Yeah. You, you want to sit, you want to say that it is. And I think yeah. you're right. But, but in the moment, Right. Like it's super, super terrifying for both Vulnerable, of them. right? Like, ter- yeah, this, this ah, vulnerability of is this even, this could, this, this could, this thing could just dissipate. Everything could crumble over this. Cause I remember, I remember when my wife's older sister died, which was just a few years after that. Mm. And my, my oldest said, so where did aunt Lucy go? And I said, I have no idea. Like the only thing I can say is she's not living with us anymore. (laughs) I mean, I, you know, it's, it's such a scary thing because I, as a child, I was never raised this way. So that's why this is uncharted territory. Uncharted territory. Because I, you know, my parents had answers to everything. Yeah. You know, oh, they're, they're in heaven with God or they're in the spirit life or whatever it was. And it always brought me this comfort, like, oh, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. But now what I'm doing is I'm, I don't know, pulling the curtain down <laughs> and saying, guess what? I, I don't know. And I, and I don't have good, solid answers. I wish I did. I'm still trying to find the good, solid answers for myself. And screw that. I would like the answers for myself, sure. But what I want more than anything is to be able to provide those solid answers for my kids. Because I know that's what my parents were trying to give, 
to give me with whatever form of Mormonism to give you those answers of, oh no, you know, your, your pet dog's up in heaven. It'll, right. you know, it's fine or whatever, but it's, it's a, that's a, this is scary. Bro, you, you just, you just got to the freaking center of the biggest difference in, in parenting and really in my approach to life right there between um, Mormonism and beyond Mormonism. And I, and I include ex Mormonism in that because what I had both as a Mormon, as an ex Mormon were answers. It was always answers to certain questions, right? And then, you know, Mormonism, where, why are you here? Where'd you come from? Where are you going? Right. I was thinking just about how small linear and egoist Mormon doctrine is. Because you're a you, you're a thing separate from all other things for eternity going backwards, you know, and for eternity going forwards. You are always this ego, this, this separate thing. And, in, in, and with that, with that, that approach, it had all the answers, to, 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 including answers to questions that nobody has the answers to. And then the opposite has been, once I finally, well, I should say, then ex-Mormonism became, I have answers, not that. That's my answer. Mm-hmm. Be- church, bad. Jesus, bad. Scripture's bad. Um, you know, it, it was not that. Those were, mm-hmm. those were just as much answers as when I was, when I was a Mormon. Just taking the 180 degrees. Right. Yeah. And, and it's taken a while to get to the place of just the opposite, which is rather than having answers, I want questions. And that's been the, the, the biggest leap of faith is in giving my kids permission to ask questions. And that's one of the things we, I just had. A, I just had a conversation with Tommy, you know, 20 years old. He's, he's a junior trying to figure out, you know, changing major and the, you know, real, real life stuff, right, at, at 20. And, and it's been so, it's just been so exciting to... Um, as we, as he's trying to find an answer to, um, you know, to, a, to, a, to a stage in life and, and that will impact his life in real and substantial ways is, and he's coming to us for advice now. What do you, what do you think? And, you know, trying to go through pros and cons and all, all this. And my advice was stop. You're 20 years old. Do less. You don't need the answers right now. In fact, ask more questions, give yourself time and space to ask more questions. Not what do I want to do, but why do I want to do? Right? And, and at 20, give yourself time. And, that, and that's that right there, the difference between having answers and wanting, and even when I think I have the answers, and in many cases right now at this point, finally, I do feel that I have answers for me and for my children. Now that I actually have them, it's in not presenting them. It's in not offering them. And instead, simply asking questions and encouraging them to ask questions and having the confidence that they'll get to an even better answer than I have. And more than likely, it's going to be a very similar or same answer because my answer to his question is a lot more broad. What do you want to do in life? What do you want to be in life? The answer to that question is, live with peace, do something that is, that is valuable to you, something that serves you. That's the answer to that question. 
And so in not answering that question, instead of encouraging questions, he's getting there on his own. And there's now comfort in the question and comfort in, 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 in not having answers, um, in having faith, that that will actually lead to the answer. The whole thing, quit trying. Once you, once you stop trying, you, get, you, you do it. Do less. Stop trying to surf and surf. Is it because the answers to these big questions really are just subjective? They're personal. Fuck personal. Yeah. Because the thing Individual. is, it's, it's really interesting to me when I talk to my kids now, when they'll bring up, you know, like, oh, you know, so-and-so's Jewish, you know, and then we talk about the Jewish faith and, you know, whether they're, you know, dogmatic or not, or orthodox or whatever it is, and say it, it doesn't really matter, but the way they view things, you respect how they view it. It, all, it always comes back, back to, are they harming you? Are they harming themselves? If the answers are no, then respect their choice and their yeah. journey all like all the way. And because you, that's what you want, right? You want to be able to figure things out, believe what you want to believe or not believe or whatever it is. And it's going to require trust and respect that we let people have their journeys, you Absolutely. know, including and especially our kids. Oh, absolutely. You know, but, but it's, it's still a delicate thing because it's, it's, I know you and I've talked about this before cause I'm having, I'm having recollections of this. When you see them on a path, even, I mean, you can take simple things like if they're, if they're messing up a math problem, you're like, Oh, you just didn't put the decimal point in the wrong, in the right place right here. Do you want them to fail that? quiz or whatever or do you want to show it to like uh right there that you fix that or it's like make sure you're wearing your gloves and boots when you go out because it's cold outside or do you let them just i want to wear my shorts and tank top it's fine there's still things that you want to be able to say okay i don't want to sound like i'm controlling but you think this through i can give you some perspective because i watched the weather report so you're going to want to put something on dude you're yes and and you're, those two examples I think are great. Is there's a different there's a difference in approach. You can be right about both of those things. Your decimal points wrong, and it's it's too cold for you to dress that way because of your 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 comfort, safety, all those things, right? So, but to say here's the answer, there's where you made the mistake, and here's how to correct it. Mm-hmm. Whether is 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 a it's not an effective way to do it, rather than helping them see the error on their own, their, their own, so they can correct it on their own. Another, what I hear, what I hear you saying is our job as a parent is to, to help make the child aware of as many things as possible, as many real things as possible. Mm -hmm. And so then in the, you know, we, Chris and I literally just had the example of the, of the coat, you know, the cold weather with our niece when we were, we were traveling up North with, with her and she was wearing short shorts and a, and a t-shirt and I was pretty bundled up because we were up North and we said, Hey, you want to bring a jacket? No, I'm fine. Oh, and, and flip flops. Well, you know, honey, it's a, it's, it's a little cold. Um, you know, we're up in Flagstaff. Are you sure you don't want to bring a, a jacket? <laughs> no, I'm fine. And Kristen and I kind of started pushing. Finally, we said, you know what? 
she's aware of it now. She's made a decision. We'll go out. And she was fine. Now, had she not been fine, she would have figured that out on her own. But she was aware of it and then was able to make a decision. I don't, I, I strongly, um, I simply will not adopt a, no, you're going to do this. Now, mm. there are stages where, no, 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 you're going to do this because this really has to, but now I'm going to explain why. This mm. really has to do with your safety, your, uh, your this, right? Yeah, there's still boundaries. There's right? got to be. There's got to be. be. And you know, we, the analogy that we've been doing lately, we've been, like, we've been dealing with this puppy. We just got this um, this Australian Shepherd that's you know very rambunctious, <laughs> and um, and in fact, we were just having this conversation with a with a friend yesterday about their kids, um, and we were we were talking about the dog. How really, what you, all you got to do is provide them um, food, um, exercise, love, and a small enough space so that they don't shit and piss everywhere, <laughs> right? Because right. if you give them too big of a space, right, they're just going to destroy things. So you got to <laughs> give them that small st- space. And then the other thing you have to do with dogs is also give them a space and give them some things that they can chew on and destroy. Yeah. And so if you give your kids, say, start there and say you give your kids those things and just those things and let them decide a lot of things within that, how much mm-hmm. to eat, what to eat, where that space is going to be, what things they can't, you know, that they, they'd like to destroy and chew on. Then you can prevent them from chewing on your shoes and your mm-hmm. shit and mm-hmm. prevent them from pissing and shitting everywhere. And yep. so we, the same, the same approach applies with kids. But in my experience, one of two things happens. Either parents are too permissive and let their kids shit and piss everywhere and chew <laughs> on too much stuff or they put them in a cage and they don't give them enough free range exercise, love and ability to make decisions on their own. A lot of those extreme examples, they're out there for sure. I mean, I, as you, you guys probably know, you, you've probably met, you know, parents that are on both sides of the spectrum there. I, I, I do too. I just don't think they're extremes. I think there is a sweet spot well, yeah. Right. So I don't. I think. I think this too permissive stuff and the too res- and the too um, restrictive. I guess those are th- those are probably the most common um, approaches, and it's something I've personally seen. I've, I've seen it in our lives as we went from more restrictive to perhaps too permissive in, mm-hmm. a, in a, from a believing to a non-believing context. And so, in in breaking through Mormonism or existing and parenting beyond Mormonism. One of the things that we did is impose some more. Um, we made we we made sure that they have a, um, you know, in, in some cases a a very a more confined world. Mm. We try to make their world as safe and as large as possible, given their development, not their age, given their development, yeah. and the idea of safety versus largeness is. Too often, it, 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 it seems like, um, you know, uh, inconsistencies, right? How can I make the world safe? How can I give them access to things? Or, you know, if, if, I, give, if, I, if I make them so, um, you know, if I let them explore and I make their world large. Well, if I keep them safe, how do I, you know, vice versa. But it's mm-hmm. a balance of understanding their level of development that I think helps 
helps them not. And, and here again, it's, it's not putting them helps them figure out for themselves how large their world is and ensure that they're safe there. Mm-hmm. The kids are going to make their world large. If we, if we're too restrictive, they're going to do it by hiding. They're going to do it in more destructive ways. They're going to find other ways to break out of a very, very restrictive world that's imposed on them by, uh, by, by uh, adults. But that's, but that's an easy statement. Cause it's like, think about when you were that, you know, when you were around that age, you know, you didn't, you wanted independence, you wanted freedom. You didn't want to be constrained. You didn't want all these rules. Yeah. I mean, I, I can still remember all that stuff vividly. I imagine most people do. So yeah, exactly. Well, and, I, and I think I would have been better off had I been given a little more freedom. Had I been given, um, had they been responsive and really communicating I me, mean, just like you talked about with your, with your daughter and doing that on all the areas that I wanted to maybe push on. Okay, let's have a conversation about that. Why? What do you what what do you want to stay out to one? What are you doing to one? And actually, my parents did have the conversation, although they could have. You know, they, there was a little more. No, it's just not going to happen. Um, <laughs> but you know, oh, oh, because because all my friends are doing it. Oh, if all your friends did it, would you you know jumped off a of, right? No, no, you're not hearing me. What I'm saying is, I have the desire to be social. It's important to me to have this social experience, mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what kids are saying when they're saying, well, I want to, I want to do this. So, um, anyway, yeah, I, 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 that's been, but that's also, again, been the difference, uh, you know, the, the difference in parenting has been the openness and responsiveness to what the kid, um, is experiencing and wants. Tell me about your world. Tell me why you want to do this. Explain it to me. This, mm-hmm in those context, in those, in those situations where I either see a problem, I'm unhappy with the, with the direction. Um, or I think that there's, there's a, you know, there, there's something that is, is either destructive, unhealthy, um, you know, but, but the, again, the awareness of why do I care about this is the first question I ask myself. Why do I care about this? Oh, it's, I'm really annoyed. I'm annoyed. I'm I'm bothered that I I shouldn't care about it. They're having fun. <laughs> they're laughing. Mm-hmm. They're they're doing these things, and it's eight o'clock at night. It's fine. Why do I care? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the first question. And then if it, if I care, let's go have a conversation with the kids. Look, I care. <laughs> <laughs> I care enough to get up. I care enough to say something. I'm now burning calories. <laughs> Let me explain to you why, because I've identified it. Now you tell me why I'm wrong. I think we do that, or I should say that's been the biggest difference. And that's tied to having questions rather than answers. Hmm. So I ask questions rather than provide direction, um, answers, or um, directives, directions or directives. Mm-hmm. I'm more cautious about doing doing that and realizing that every time I do that, once I'm imposing my will on them, I'm now in the realm of Mormonism. I'm in the realm of fundamentalism. I'm in the realm of behaving as if I am their leader. Yeah. You're controlling and restricting. and And again, the shift of, um, the shift of, of the, that approach 
has been instructed by my, um, by the way, I just view my kids. And it, now it's, it's go back to the adoption. Um, and I've told you the story, you know, we've, we've talked about this and I'm going to disclose mm-hmm. it, which is, um, you know, a couple of years ago, my, my oldest, you know, it, it, she's an adult, um, told us that she resented us for adopting her. And it was a, you know, it was a, um, it was a, it was a, it was a nut punch, you know, not a gut punch. It was, um, you know, brought me to my knees. Absolutely. How would it not? And we struggled with that and eventually got to the place where she's right. She's right to resent us because she said, you know, you, you took me from my family. You stole me from my family and the circumstances didn't matter. This was her experience. And the reflection of she's right caused me to realize this. Just as I resent my parents for forcing me down a path that wasn't my path, they, they treated me as an extension of the family, an extension of them, an extension of the church. But similarly, I treated this little girl as an extension of her birth family and an extension of us. And it was tied to our, you know, being, being sealed and those types of things reinforced that. Um, and it, just a couple of years ago, and realizing, my gosh, not only was she not ours, but she also wasn't her birth families. Hmm. She was and is and remains hers. And the regret that I felt, the repentance that I wanted to do was that approach in not treating Tori as a being unto herself. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment that that assisted me to shift and have that exact same approach to the other two children who were our biological children. And so we stopped or at least made some concerted efforts to not treat them as if they're extensions of us or extensions of the family. And it was in that moment that I saw both, I, I both, um, it's, it's what enabled me to, to ultimately go to my father and go to my mother and forgive them for being loving, good parents and doing the best they could under the paradigm that they were brought up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a silly thing to have to forgive, feel that you forgive your parents for. But that's what the experience was because I understood very, very intimately Mm -hmm. the decisions that we made to adopt that girl came from a place of love and good faith. And despite that love and good faith and all those intentions, the reality that that adoption had on her, but not just the adoption, the manner in which we treated her as an extension of us. And that was my bridge to seeing the way that my parents doing their best treated me as an extension of us. And so all I could do at that point was acknowledge and forgive myself for what I did to her from a place of love Mm -hmm. and appreciate what my parents tried to do for me from a place of love. And it was in that moment that I can say, I came full circle and now believe the church is true. And let me explain that because I realized that as it relates to my father, especially who lost his parents when he was 18 and 19 years old and he converted. So his parents weren't, weren't members. He converted. He was the only member of his family to convert. And then he went on a mission and he lost his parents 
right in the period of time that he converted and went on a mission. The church became his salvation. The church became a, a thing for him to have family and a thing to guide him to be a parent because he didn't have a father, to teach him how to be a father, to model how to be a father, and certainly not a father of now adult kids. He didn't get that. And so what I feel now is an appreciation for the church of being there at a time when my father needed it. Just as, you know, and that was our experience with this, with this adoption is I'm not going to curse adoption generally, even though I think it has some, there's some real issues and there's some, there's some real, um, there's some real issues with adoption and the way we do sure, it. Sure. Sure. I'm not going to curse it and say that was a horrible thing because we did the best we could under the circumstances and we came from a place of love. But again, all that was all wrapped up in my Mormon experience, my experience as a kid, my experience as a father to simply want to be me and want to be me independent of everyone else and everything else. Mm -hmm. And wanting that more than anything else for my kids. Separate and independent from me. And it was that experience, that, that, that gut-wrenching just tragedy that shifted my approach and starting to, again, this is where I say have faith, you know, have this abandon of, of actually treating my kids and giving my kids more space and more say-so in, their, in the things that they do in their life. Mm-hmm. And it was hard, bro. Was scary, scary AF, as the kids say. <laughs> well, what what you're scratching on is, I mean, first of all, I d I don't like talking about parenting at all because I feel like I'm the most inadequate parent that I know of. So I always hate talking about it. Well, that if being, that's the case. Who's the adequate ones? That, that being said, <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing your guys' experiences and I actually devour other people's experiences. So why am I going to devalue my experience over others? So if I have experiences that I can share that can help others, then that's my obligation. So but what you were guys, what you were just talking about, this, if, if I were to give like one piece of advice to anyone out there, uh, inside, outside of Mormonism, inside of whatever faith, doesn't really matter. It, it really comes down to what you were just talking about, treating them as individuals. But in order to really do that effectively, it's going to require so much trust on both ends. You're going to have to trust that child. That, tr that child is going to need to trust you. And so in order for that to happen, there's a lot of things and a lot of work that needs a lot of groundwork, a lot of things that need to be done for that child to trust you. Now, there's really cool benchmarks that a parent can realize when they're being successful at achieving trust from that child. Like, and I, I hate to, you know, brag about this, but when my youngest daughter called me from school today, um, having a really hard time telling me about this issue that came up that brought up a lot of emotions for her, even though it was really inconvenient for me, 
because, you know, I'm in the middle of working on my car or whatever. And, but when I realized it was her, I stopped everything and I listened to everything she had to say, even if objectively it's really superficial and kind of dumb. Most people are like, really? So he stole your pencil, blah, 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 or whatever it was. Right. But I listened to her and then I, I was there for her. And then after, you know, I tried to help calm her down, I hung up the phone and I actually did choke up a little bit knowing that she, when she's having a hard time, she thought of me mm-hmm. to go to me first. That's when you know that you're not a failure, I guess. <laughs> you're not a success as a parent, but you're not a failure. But at least you're getting those levels of trust and support kind of built in. And that's, and that's going to become, become so instrumental when they get older. Because if, because if they get, like with my oldest, when she trusts me and she can, and, and I know I laid out a lot of groundwork, especially coming out to her as an unbeliever and, and then her and I walking this path together, essentially, I mean, she still has her path. I still have mine, but because there's so many commonalities that we have these bonds. And so she will come to me in moments of panic and, you know, where she's scared and worried, just like what Tommy did with you guys where he's, he's like, I'm in a crossroads here. This is a, this is life is now staring me right in the face, (laughs) big decision time. And what's more important than for a parent to say, I'm here for you. I will support you. I'm not going to tell you what to do because you are you, but I want to be there for you in every way possible. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the advice that I give and well, the thing that I try to practice and try to embody is first and foremost, first and foremost, do less. I stop. I try to do nothing until it's, until I have clarity, until I'm certain, until I'm certain something needs to be done. I love the I love the Rick and Morty thing about time and how you know it's it's so necessary <laughs> for stability to be certain <laughs> and how very right. few people are certain. But especially when it comes to intervening with a kid, I do nothing. I try to do nothing until I'm certain. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is the thing I try to do is simply give them. Give them opportunities to be heard, to communicate. Because, there are, because so few things are, are in their control, so few things are in our control. And in acknowledging that and in understanding that, my goal isn't to really give them control over situations. In fact, it's, it's to... It's to not try to give them false control or think they can control situations they can't, but instead to be free to talk about it, whatever they're going on, whatever is going on, because in them talking about it and giving them voice, it's getting them to self-navigate and process in the talking about it. And that's what caused them to land on I think a, a good option. I hate to say the good option is there's only one. And that's, again, that's such a Mormon 
God, mm-hmm. you know, please tell me what the right choice is. Right. And, and again, I think that's so egoist as if there's a right choice. <laughs> I think there are so many right choices and there are a number of wrong choices, right? But usually what we do is we end up with a wrong choice in trying to find the, the one and only true answer to whatever, you know, whatever, whatever the, the issue is. And so it's to try to get them used to and comfortable and, and practicing talking about what they're going through. And, you know, I, I this is, this is a rev, kind of a revelation now as, as I've gotten older, especially as Tommy's gotten, you know, in, into college and be 20 years old because he was a kid riddled with anxiety and, you know, and he, and he, there was a period of time where we were really, really concerned. Um, we were really concerned. Um, and he, he had vocal tics and he had, um, you know, this, this, he was, he, he was ticking, um, and it got very severe for a period of time. And it's really Kristen's trip. It's a tribute to Kristen is that what she really did and, and, and taught was this is giving him at an early age the opportunity, the space, and the freedom and the safety to express himself and start communicating what he's experienced and what he's going through. And over time, that led to his own awareness and identification of the, um, the stressful situations that, um, that, that come up. And now, to hear him at only 20, he's only 20, man, I'm so impressed with this kid, is to hear him well, I know I, this is what's going on and I'm frustrated because, and I understand it's not. And to, to have him work through that on his own is a, is, is, is simply a manifestation. It's a, it's a more advanced move of what he was, he was allowed to do at five, six, seven, eight of just, I hate this. I hate, you know, mm. letting him start to do that and not restrict him. Well, shut up. We're going to quit, quit yelling, quit, behave, you know, kind of stuffing that energy mm-hmm. that was really emanating. And so that, that's one, one that's been an example that has been life-saving um, in, in his life. And, and now we've seen it with Dylan. She's now 15. Um, that's happened earlier and earlier. Her, her, her strength and her power in voicing to not just us, but to other people in her world what she's dealing with and what she's experiencing, especially when that person is um, treating her poorly. And I'm specifically talking about adults. So it's been with Tommy, it was a, it was a uh, mitigating and a very healing aspect and being able to communicate his world. And for, for Dylan, it's been a very, it's been not just a healing one. It's been an empowering um, one. And as a, mm-hmm. as, you know, and, and I think as a, as a girl that's had, um, that's been that's that's been a a tool and a resiliency tool that's been very effective but it, it it's something that can be done in any familial situation is um you know the i heard Kristen give somebody great advice just yesterday um about dealing with their kids is yeah just ask questions and listen do nothing but that have you have you tried that just ask questions and listen and the person said no i haven't that's just a one place to start with 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 whatever age um, kid we deal with, ask more questions and listen, ask more questions and listen and do less, impose less. Again, that's comes full circle to the biggest difference 
between parenting as a believer, parenting as a non-believer, and now finally parenting beyond Mormonism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I love I love what you were saying. Ask ask questions, listen, ask questions, and it's it's again it's reiterating the fact that we treat these children, and I even want to say even when they're really young, treat them as I they're individuals. Yeah, treat them as as they're their own people. They're not clay for you to mold. They're not little people that you need to form into some ideal that you want to be or like a little mini you, you know, like, Oh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't successful playing football, but I'm going to raise my boy. So he'll be successful. And then you get to be that sports dad saying he's living the life I should have lived. Right. right. And that's like, no, just let him or her do whatever they're passionate with. When, when you were, um, when you left and especially when there was kind of a mixed faith marriage, did you feel the drive or the need to, um, kind of impose a, a non-believer perspective and fear that, you know, you had to kind of counterbalance, you know, any indoctrination was that, that was going on and how did you find that, um, to work? Yeah, good question. Most certainly I felt, because, you know, early on, you feel like there's so many negatives or destructive things that are taught in the church, and you want to either deprogram that or unbrainwash them or whatever it is. You feel that really palpable early on. Um, but the funny thing is, who was it? I think it was a friend of mine that had told me, hey, you, you went, you know, 35 years in the church or whatever, and you're fine. So if they go two years, four years, 10 years in the church, they can still be fine. It's not, it's not like if they, if, if a young girl goes to through the young women's program, she's, she's beyond that point of figuring things out for herself. There are shortcomings that can happen there are things that could be planted deeply in her brain or whatever that could be problematic later on, but maybe not. It's, it, it, it's hard because all, all I can, what, well, what I'll say is, yeah, I did feel that. But what I eventually came down to is I'm just going to offer my perspective the way I thought, but, bring at it the the way you learn like this is why i believe this is the why i think the way i think these are the things that i've come to use as my foundation moving forward take it or leave it dude what i what i i mean i i've been thinking the difference between a preacher and a zen master you know and a, and a zen master uh, well, preachers can always say, you know, going to going to direct. Let me tell you how to do it, and what here are things you need to know. Whereas a Zen master may tell their story, and then just ask questions. Mm-hmm. And in 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 telling your story, that's going to be that, that's going to provide more advice and more counsel for the for anybody really, mm-hmm. especially a kid who loves you, to be able to do their own work and apply your story to their experience. And so, I mean, I, that's what I, I always hear, you know, I've heard you say this, this before is, you know, this is my, this has been my experience. 
but I'm going to let you have yours. And, um, you know, and, and, and my experience that's been negative and my experience that's been positive, both of those things that may have given me insight into certain things, but this has been my experience. What do you well, think? and one of, one of the big reasons why I do that so consciously is because I was a product of being controlled and molded. Yeah. You know, it took me till my 30s before I really needed to shape my own identity. Think for myself, figure things out for myself rather than, you know, taking, like I said, take the scaffolding down and then build my own up. And so I, I do make a very conscious effort making sure that I am not uh, preaching or controlling because I have such an aversion to that now. Yeah. You know, the, the, I, I, I there's, there's so many, many ways that I feel Mormon again, now that I've kind of broken through Mormonism and ex Mormonism. <laughs> sure. Of course. Because there were so many aspects of my, of my childhood that were so healthy and so mm. filled with love. Yeah. Tied to things in, in the church. And, you know, I, 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 I um, well, and one of them is is some of the some of the scripture stories. I loved, I I I had a very Christocentric view of, <laughs> um, you know, the, the the whole hippie Jesus thing, and there was a there was a part of that. There was so much of those stories that I found so elevating and so inspiring, and you know, the poor wayfaring man of grief and these types of things just just encourage goodness in me, and I rejected that so completely. Um, you know, it, it feeling necessary. That was a necessary um, rejection and kind of re re embracing those things. Not as, not as, as, as <laughs> literal historical events or magical beings, but as allegory has been so much fun. And it's been so helpful in communicating concepts that I want to with my kids. And rather than preaching, just telling stories. And now they'll, you know, it's 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 been fun to 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 tell, you know, incorporate um, stories from the Bible with stories from movies, with stories from books, with Star Wars, and ultimately realize all these stories tend to be saying the same thing. Yeah, so many commonalities everywhere. <laughs> it's the hero. It's the hero's journey. It's figure yeah. out what's right yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're talking about that or whether you're talking about Spider Man into the Spider Verse. <laughs> right everybody can wear the mask yeah thanks man no thank you this was awesome you've been listening to if and stamp if and stamp if and stamp if and stamp if